Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black. It's a uh, chilly spring day here in the wilds of Connecticut. The sweater is on. The Jill Schwartz Memorial Library is, if not frigid, then at least chilly uh, the way like a wine refrigerator would be chilly. That's what it feels like in here. And I've got a, I've got a delicious dry white for you today. The dry white, of course, being me. So, you know... <sighs> These beginnings, the beginnings of of, uh, these episodes, I always think to myself, gee, what if you're listening to this the way people listen to the beginnings of Mark Maron's WTF podcast, which is they just fast forward. And that would be tragic to me to discover that. On the other hand, it seems unlikely because there's no reason to listen to this purely for the story. Like if you're listening to Marin, you're like, yeah, I, okay, yeah, I get it, Mark, you're anxious, but I want to hear what Flea has to say. But, but you know, it's unlikely you're listening to this going, yeah, I get it, Michael, you're anxious, but I want to hear what Mary Shelley has to say. Because frankly, the novel isn't that good, although it's getting better. Somebody asked me last night, I was on a Zoom stand-up comedy show. And if, you, if you've never participated in one of those, either as a performer or as an audience member, Let me tell you, a lot is lost in translation from the live environment to the Zoom environment. You probably figured that out on your own. But it was a fun evening, and somebody asked me if uh, my beef with Mark Maron is real, because this person had listened to myself and Mark Maron ragging on each other for about eight minutes straight at a comedy festival years ago, and then we did the same when I was on his podcast. And... uh, so I guess that's why I have Mark Marin top of mind. 
uh, and I, I will answer that question. It, it was a two-part question. The first is, is, is your beef with Mark Marin real? The second is, is he really an asshole? And I said, I will take the second half of your question first. And the answer is yes. And the first half is yes. And both of those answers are incomplete. Because Mark and I do quarrel, but I think we're friends. I know we're friends. And I, haven't, I actually haven't talked to him in quite a while. And what's terrible is that Mark, Mark Marin used to resent me when we were younger because he thought that whatever success I had with the state and television and whatever was undeserved. That I was, I think the word he used was cute. And therefore, anything that had accrued my way was just because I was cute and, and, and uh, he resented that. And I didn't resent him until very recently, in the last few years, when he's become so much more successful than me. And now I feel like finally I can return the favor of resenting him. So there's a nice equilibrium in our relationship right now. He no longer has to resent me. I get to resent him. That being said, I am still cuter. Now, with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I feel like we've had a kind of act end. You know, uh, the big buddy has finally outlaid or laid out what he wants from Victor Frankenstein. Hey, what do you want from me, big buddy? Why do I, why do I gotta make you a girl, buddy? Why do I gotta do that? But that's what he wants. I'm just a sweat hog. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a sweat hog, big buddy. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, it didn't, that didn't sound Travolta-y even a little bit. What do you want, Mr. Carter? That's better. What do you want, big buddy? What do you want, big buddy? What am I supposed to do? Make you a, make you a girl, buddy. So, but that's what the big buddy wants. He wants a companion. And we have spent the previous 145 pages getting to the moment where he asks for a companion. And I should note, there's, you know, <laughs> there's not that many pages left. Uh, uh, where, where, uh, another, you know, less than 100 pages left here. So, you know, it, it, I guess we'll call that the, act, the end of Act 2. And now we're galloping into Act 3, Volume 2, Chapter 9 of Frankenstein. The being finished speaking and fixed his looks upon me. So now finally we're back in Victor Frankenstein's head. He's now relating this story to Walton, but we've got his voice finally after many, many chapters of not hearing his thoughts. The being finished speaking and fixed his looks upon me in the expectation of a reply. But I was bewildered, perplexed, and unable to arrange my ideas sufficiently to understand the full extent of his proposition. He continued, You must create a female for me with whom I can live in the interchange of those sympathies necessary for my being. This you alone can do, and I demand it of you as a right which you must not refuse to concede. The latter part of his tale had kindled anew in me the anger that had died away while he narrated his peaceful life among the cottagers, and as he said this, I could no longer suppress the rage that burned within me. I do refuse it, I replied and no torture shall ever extort a consent from me. 
You may render me the most miserable of men, but you shall never make me base in my own eyes. Shall I create another like yourself, whose joint wickedness might desolate the world? Be gone. I have answered you. You may torture me, but I will never consent. You are in the wrong, replied the fiend, and instead of threatening, I am content to reason with you. I am malicious because I am miserable. That's Mark Maron, too. Malicious because he's miserable. I mean, just, I mean, you know, that should go on his tombstone. I was malicious because I was miserable. And, you know, look, why am I, why am I lobbing grenades at Mark Maron all of a sudden? I got no, I got no beef with Mark Maron. I mean, I do, but it's not based in anything other than, you know, 25 years of, you know, just sniping at each other. I love the guy. Do I love the guy? Not really. Am I not shunned and hated by all mankind? You, my creator, would tear me to pieces and triumph. Remember that and tell me why I should pity man more than he pities me. You would not call it murder if you could precipitate me into one of those ice rifts and destroy my frame, the work of your own hands. Shall I respect man when he condemns me? And just a, just a side note here, uh, there's a typo. Shall I respect man when he contemns me, it said. And now, just just to be thorough, I feel like I need to crank up the research machine and make sure that contemn, contemn me, contemn, is in fact a word. It is, in fact, a word. And I apologize to the editors and to Mary Shelley and to Percy Bissy, Bissy Shelley, and to all of you, contempt is in fact a word. Uh, it means to treat or regard with contempt, as you may have surmised. Shall I respect man when he contemns me? Let him live with me in the interchange of kindness. And instead of injury, I would bestow every benefit upon him with tears of gratitude at his acceptance. But that cannot be. The human senses are insurmountable barriers to our union. Yet mine shall not be the submission of abject slavery. I will revenge my injuries if I cannot inspire love. Let's go back for a moment because the human senses are insurmountable barriers to our union. Yet mine shall not be the submission of abject slavery I will revenge my injuries. If I cannot inspire love, I will cause fear. And chiefly towards you, my arch enemy, because my creator, do I swear the inextinguishable hatred. So I, 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 the reason I wanted to go back was because, uh, just to make the obvious point, that as Mary Shelley is writing these words, the notion of abject slavery is not metaphoric, but is in fact tangible and real and a occurrence of everyday life. I don't think, when did England outlaw slavery? When did England abolish slavery? The answer is... 1807. So British slavery had ended, and it certainly never had the it never had the purchase in England that it did in the United States. But we've heard her discussing, or we've heard her characters earlier in, in the novel discuss slavery and the injustice of it. So there is uh, something to be said, I think, for 
her comparison of the big buddy to the slave. And there's, it's a little bit, I don't know what the word is. It's a little bit sanctimonious, I think. If you're comparing it to actual slavery, the big buddy situation to actual slavery, because she says, or he says, I will revenge my injuries. If I cannot inspire love, I will cause fear. And chiefly towards you, my arch enemy, because my creator, do I uh, swear inextinguishable hatred. So there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, rebelliousness, a little bit of a fantasy of slave rebellion, maybe, and tickling the back of her head going, well, if I was a slave, I would rise up and I would beat the shit out of people. And we know that that wasn't really possible in the United States. Had it been, it would have happened. Any slave revolts that occurred in the history of the United States were quickly and mercilessly put down. I understand she's being metaphoric to a large degree, but there is something, I don't know, I guess sanctimonious. You know, she's looking at it from afar going, well, if that was me, I would inspire abject fear. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that you would. I'm not sure that you would, Mary Shelley, if you were in that situation, because millions just like you, stronger than you, did not. And, you know, you're a rich chick. And your heart's in the right place, no doubt. Uh, But... I don't know, something about that rubs me the wrong way. Have a care. I will work at your destruction, nor finish until I desolate your heart, so that you shall curse the hour of your birth. A fiendish rage animated him as he said this. His face was wrinkled into contortions too horrible for human eyes to behold. But presently he calmed himself and proceeded. I intended to reason. This passion is detrimental to me, for you do not reflect that you are the cause of its excess. If any being felt emotions of benevolence towards me, I should return them a hundred and a hundredfold. For that one creature's sake, I would make peace with the whole kind. But I now indulge in dreams of bliss that cannot be realized. What I ask of you is reasonable and moderate. I demand a creature of another sex, but as hideous as myself. The gratification is small, but it is all that I can receive, and it shall content me. It is true. We shall be monsters, cut off from all the world. But on that account, we shall be more attached to one another. Our lives will not be happy, but they will be harmless and free from the misery I now feel. O my creator, make me happy. Let me feel gratitude towards you for one benefit. Let me see that I excite the sympathy of some existing thing. Do not deny me my request. I mean, Frankenstein's being a dick. Okay? Not because, not because he's, you know, going, fuck you, Mr. Carter. You know, not because he's saying, I won't do it, Mr. Carter. Not because of that. But because... He is, because there, I think there are significant ethical and moral considerations, you know, to ponder before making another buddy, you know? Like, would you purposely bring a creature into this world, and the big buddy just said, who will not be happy, but will be harmless? You know, that's a, that's a question. And is it worth sacrificing this one being's happiness? for peace 
you know, it's a trolley car problem. That, you know, if you looked at it from that point of view, you go, all right, you know, like, let's have a conversation about this. But if you're just like, you know, big, big buddy, you're a dick. I'm not going to do it. Mr. You know, I'm a sweat high. I don't do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Again, not very Travolta-y, but, um, but maybe we can do Christ, Christoph Waltz a little bit because that is, of course, Frankenstein's true voice. All that being said, let's take a break and contemplate, you know, the trolley car problem, and we'll be back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back now on Obscure contemplating ethics, contemplating morals, contemplating John Travolta and Christoph Waltz. And, you know, Big Buddy has just proposed, hey, make me, make, make me a she-buddy. And Frankenstein's going, fuck you, I'm not going to do it. So I thought Big Buddy had a lovely speech about why he should. Let's hear how Frankenstein responds. I was moved. I shuddered. Good. I'm glad you were moved. It's a moving speech, you know? Look, here's the thing. If you're, if you're going to be a writer, like, you know, have your opposing views equally compelling. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, make it, make, make it tough. Make it tough on your characters. And she's doing that. I was moved. I shuddered when I thought of the possible consequences of my consent. But I felt that there was some justice in his argument. That's what I said. His tale and the feelings he now expressed proved him to be a creature of fine sensations, and did I not as his maker owe him all the portion of happiness that it was in my power to bestow? He saw my change of feeling and continued, well, wait a second, because a page ago you were calling him, I mean, the story is the same as, it, as it's been, but a second ago you called him a fiendish uh, demon, didn't you? I can't find it right away, but it's something like that, a fiendish demon. So, you know, you basically called him a hell monster, three paragraphs ago, and now you're like, well, maybe he has a point. Okay, look, he has a point. But don't be so wishy-washy, Victor Frankenstein. He saw my change of feeling and continued. If you consent, 
neither you nor any other human being shall ever see us again. I will go to the vast wilds of South America. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's fairly random. Uh, South America. I mean, why doesn't he think people will see him in South America? I mean, I guess because the rainforest and he'll just like disappear in the rainforest. But how's he even going to get there? You know, how do you smuggle Big Buddy and She Buddy on a boat to South America without any human being setting eyes on you? That's a problem that maybe uh, you haven't considered, Big Buddy. I'd think about it. He continues, my food is not that of man. Man, I do not destroy the lamb and the kid to glut my appetite. Acorns and berries afford me sufficient nourishment. My companion will be of the same nature as myself and will be content with the same fare. We shall make our bed of dried leaves. The sun will shine on us as on man and will ripen our food. The picture I present to you is peaceful and human and you must feel that you could deny it only in the wantonness of power and cruelty. Pitiless as you have been towards me, I now see compassion in your eyes. Let me seize the favorable moment and persuade you to promise what I so ardently desire. So, you know, we're going to go to Club Med. We're going to get a private villa. We're going to eat, you know, fruits and berries. Fruits and berries. And, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be killing lambs and goats. You know, we're just going to be sleeping on uh, in nests of leaves. We're going to get tan. We're going to sunbathe. We're going to frolic with the anacondas. We're going to make friends with the piranha and all will be well. How could you deny us that? I mean, it doesn't sound so bad, right? Something like something out of a Gauguin painting. I understand that wasn't South America, but there's a kind of uh, exoticism, a fetishization going on there of how things are going to be in South America. But, you know, we can forgive that. I can forgive it. You propose, replied I, to fly from the habitations of man, to dwell in those wilds where the beasts of the fields will be your only companions. How can you, who long for the love and sympathy of man, persevere in this exile? You will return and again seek their kindness, and you will meet with their detestation. Your evil passions will be renewed, and you will then have a companion to aid you in the task of destruction. This may not be. Cease to argue the point, for I cannot consent. And Frankenstein says, How inconstant are your feelings, but a moment ago you were moved by my representations. And why do you again harden yourself to my complaints? I swear to you, by the earth which I inhabit, and by you that made me, that with the companion you bestow, I will quit the neighborhood of man and dwell as it may chance in the most savage of places. My evil passions will have fled, for I shall meet with sympathy. My life will flow quietly away, and in my dying moments, I shall not curse my maker. His words had a strange effect upon me. I compassionated him. Ooh, I like that word, compassionated. Mary, that's a nice word you made, compassionated. Does it mean when you drink a lot of coffee, Mary? Oh, it doesn't, does it? All right. I compassionated him, and sometimes felt a wish to console him. But when I looked upon him, when I saw the filthy mass that moved and talked, my heart sickened and my feelings were altered to those of horror and hatred. 
I tried to stifle these sensations. I thought that as I could not sympathize with him, I had no right to withhold from him the small portion of happiness which was yet in my power to bestow. You swear, I said, to be harmless, but have you not already shown a degree of malice that should reasonably make me distrust you? May not even this be a feint that will increase your triumph by affording a wider scope for your revenge? How is this? I must not be trifled with, and I demand an answer. If I have no ties and no affections, hatred and vice must be my portion. The love of another will destroy the cause of my crimes, and I shall become a thing of whose existence everyone will be ignorant. My vices are the children of a forced solitude that I abhor, and my virtues will necessarily arise when I live in communion with an equal. I shall feel the, affect the affections of a sensitive being and become linked to the chain of existence and events from which I am now excluded. You know, all in all, Big Buddy's making a much more compelling case for this than Frankenstein is. I'm sorry, Mary, I'm sorry. But Big Buddy making a much more compelling case. You know, maybe I'm just a soft-hearted sop, but Frankenstein's chief objection at this point seems to be that when he looks at him, he's grossed out. You know, he's disheveled, he's messy, he probably smells like acorns and berries, and we understand he's got blood on his hands, but, but Frankenstein doesn't seem to be concerned with the pursuit of justice here. He doesn't bring up the idea of justice, recompense for poor William, poor William, and poor Justine, poor Justine, but seems instead intent on denying him only because he is abhorrent to Frankenstein personally. Well, so what? You're not going to have to look at his face. He's going to be in South America. He's going to be hanging out in the rainforest with monkeys, climbing trees, you know, swinging like Tarzan from vines. It's going to be fine. Why do you got to be such a dick to Big Buddy? You know, Frankenstein in general, not the best guy, right? I mean, he says as much to Walton. He says, look, I'm not the best guy. I want to I save you from making my mistakes, right? But, and we understand that, like, Frankenstein from the very beginning was like, look, don't follow your passions too closely because you'll end up like me drifting on an ice floe here in the North Pole, chasing an eight foot tall monster. Like, don't do what I done. But having made that point that his passions outran his morality, having made that point, he now seems to be failing to make the further point, which is that once he learned that lesson, he was incapable of rectifying it and bestowing benevolence upon the creature that he created. Like, is that a mistake to do that? Doesn't seem like it would be. And, you know, the big buddy's logic holds up. Like, if we're to believe his story, if Frankenstein is to believe any aspect of his story, and we see no reason why he should not at this point, it all hangs together. He was born. He was a pure soul. He wanted to find love. He was met with detestation, as he said. Uh, everywhere he went, he found the cottagers. He wanted to unveil himself to them and receive their love. They beat him with a stick. He went, he saved a girl from the river. Uh, he got shot. Like, He's at every moment, like, you know, he's given example after example after example of his own heart. And even here, when he could be ripping Frankenstein limb from limb, he does not do it. So I feel like we can believe him. I feel like there's enough compelling evidence for Frankenstein to be like, all right, fine, you win. I'll make you a she buddy. So here we go. 
I paused some time to reflect on all he had related and the various arguments which he had employed. I thought of the promise of virtues, which he had displayed on the opening of his existence, which is what I said, and the subsequent blight of all kindly feeling by the loathing and scorn which his protectors had manifested towards him. I said that. I just said that. His power and threats were not omitted to my calculations. A creature who could exist in the ice caves of the glaciers and hide himself from pursuit among the ridges of inaccessible precipices was a being possessing faculties it would be vain to cope with. That's what they said about Osama bin Laden. After a long, and we don't want, look, we don't want to create another Osama bin Laden, do we guys? I mean, you know, let's just pause and say, you know, no, we don't. We definitely don't. After a long pause of reflection, I concluded that the justice do both to him and my fellow creatures, demanded of me that I should comply with his request. Turning to him, therefore, I said, I consent to your demand on your solemn oath to quit Europe forever and every other place in the neighborhood of man as soon as I shall deliver into your hands a female who will accompany you in your exile. I swear, he cried, by the sun and by the blue sky of heaven and by the fire of love that burns my heart, that if you grant my prayer, while they exist, you shall never behold me again. Depart to your home and commence your labors. I shall watch their progress with unutterable anxiety and fear not but that when you are ready, I shall appear. Saying this, he suddenly quitted me, fearful, perhaps, of any change in my sentiments. I saw him descend the mountain with greater speed than the flight of an eagle, and quickly lost among the undulations of the sea of ice. His tail had occupied the whole day, and the sun was upon the verge of the horizon. Yeah, it did, didn't it? It occupied the whole day, didn't it? It didn't have to, but it did. And we were the sad recipients of that. The sun was upon the verge of the horizon when he departed. I knew that I ought to hasten my descent towards the valley, as I should soon be encompassed in darkness, but my heart was heavy and my steps slow. The labor of winding among the little paths of the mountain and fixing my feet firmly as I advanced perplexed me, occupied as I was by the emotions which the occurrences of the day had produced. Night was far advanced when I came to the halfway resting place and seated myself beside the fountain. The stars shone at intervals as the clouds passed from over them. The dark pines rose before me, and every here and there a broken tree lay on the ground. It was a scene of wonderful solemnity and stirred strange thoughts within me. I wept bitterly, and clasping my hands in agony, I exclaimed, O oh, stars and clouds and winds, ye are all about to mock me. If ye really pity me, crush sensation and memory. Let me become as naught. But if not, depart, depart, and leave me in darkness. These were wild and miserable thoughts, but I cannot describe to you how the eternal twinkling of the stars weighed upon me and how I listened to every blast of wind as if it were a dull, ugly Sirach on its way to consume me. Morning dawned before I arrived at the village of Chamonix. I took no rest, but returned immediately to Geneva. 
Even in my own heart, I could give no expression to my sensations. They weighed on me with a mountain's weight, and their excess destroyed my agony beneath them. Thus I returned home, and entering the house, presented myself to the family. My haggard and wild appearance awoke intense alarm, but I answered no questions. Scarcely did I speak. I felt as if I were placed under a ban, as if I had no right to claim their sympathies, as if never more might I enjoy companionship with them. Yet even thus I loved them to adoration, and to save them, I resolved to dedicate myself to my most abhorred task. The prospect of such an occupation made every other circumstance of existence pass before me like a dream, and that thought only had to me the reality of life. End of volume two. So let's leave it there. Victor Frankenstein is resolved to build the she-buddy. He is entering another dream world, and it is only the dream world that has for him the reality of life. The creator, the Lord and master, is uh, reascending to the heavens to begin the work of creation. And I'm excited, you know? It took us a lot of pages to get there, you know? But, the, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enwrapped in this tale now. Had I not been reading it to you, I would have quit long ago. But now that we're here, now that uh, all the circumstances have lined up, now that we understand everything, now that we have a task at hand, I'm excited to see where it goes. So we'll leave it there. We'll be back next week with another uh, 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 um, a mud from uh, a creature from mud making episode. I don't know of obscure but until then i wish you adieu and fuck mark maron i don't mean that i don't mean fuck mark maron but fuck mark maron obscure season two frankenstein is produced by robin lynn jennifer brennan mary shimkin and myself it is generally recorded in the wilds of connecticut with original music by craig wedgren if you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it please go to patreon.com slash michael ian black there you will find every single episode of obscure season two frankenstein these episodes are released weeks before they are released to the general public in in addition, you can also find writings, musings, erotica, and bonus episodes. Bonus episodes which sometimes involve Frankenstein and sometimes involve things entirely different, often with guest stars. It's patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Very reasonably priced, too, I might add. <laughs>